on the clouds, king and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break, his broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before Him. Sing, open up the gates. So open up the gates, make a way before the King of Kings. The God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before Him. Oh, and every knee will bow before You, Jesus. we bow before you now in the presence of your glory. Sing, who can stop? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? 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 Who can stop the Judah, he's roaring with power and fire. 
we're going to sing a song called uh, Bigger Than I Thought. Um, and it kind of reflects something that C.S. Lewis once wrote in his book, Prince Caspian, um, where the Christ figure is, as we sang, a lion. Um, and one of the human figures, Lucy, tells um, this lion, this Aslan, that he's bigger than what she remembered last time they saw him. And he replies, I have not gotten bigger, but every year that you grow, you will find me bigger. And that's the glory of our God, that he is bigger than we can imagine, but that every day that we get closer to him, every time we get to know him a little bit more, we get to see the beauty and the glory and the power of an infinite God. So as we sing this song, um, I want you to recall to your mind all your past, all your fears, all your failure, all the mountains in your way. And just remember that your God is bigger than that, that he has already conquered sin and he has conquered death and there's nothing else that can stand in his way. silence steals my voice you understand me you understand me come to me in the valley of unknowns you understand me you understand me you understand me understand me I throw oh I throw all my cares before you my doubts and fears don't scare you you're bigger than I thought you were you're bigger than I thought so I'll stop all negotiation with the God of all creation you're bigger than I thought you were you're bigger than I thought you were. See, I believe. I believe, but help my unbelief. You understand me. Understand me, help me reach in the faith that's underneath. You understand me, you understand me, you understand me, God. You understand me. Oh, oh I throw all my cares before you, my doubts and don't scare you you're bigger than I thought you were you're bigger than I thought so I'll stop all negotiations with the God of all creation you're bigger than I thought you were you're bigger than I thought you were failures We're not gonna bargain with you 
the rest in the Father's hands. I will rest in the Father's hands. Leave the rest in the Father's hands. I will rest in you. I will rest in the Father's hands. Leave the the God of all creation. You're bigger than I thought you were. You're bigger than I thought you were. You're bigger than I thought you were. You're bigger than I thought you Sing it out, I throw. I throw all my cares before you. My doubts and fears don't scare you. You're bigger than I thought you were. You're bigger than I thought. So I'll stop all negotiations with the God of all creation. You're bigger than I thought you were. Bigger than I thought you were, yeah. Amen. You guys can have a seat. I'm going to welcome up Mark. All right, good morning. My name is Mark Klepsig, and I'd like to welcome you here today, whether you're here with us outside in the courtyard or joining us from home. Uh, welcome. We're glad that you've taken the time out of your week uh, to spend with us. Um, if you are our guest this morning, we do have a free gift for you here today. Um, it's on the table over here, a book that's called How Good is Good Enough. So we'd love for you to take a copy of that for yourself or friends or family, uh, if you're our guest, just really as a thank you for joining us today. Um, as you heard earlier, you can find the listening guide and connection card at civalhambra.com sunday. Um, song lyrics, as you know, are on the screen, but if you'd like a physical copy, there's a few copies of those also on the table to my left over here. Um, 
And we really appreciate our generous crowd that supports the church. Um, but if you'd like to give as well, there's uh, the opportunity to do so online at our website, civlhamber.com, uh, or also uh, using the envelope that's in your program today in one of the buckets that's around. Uh, so just feel free to drop that. Also, as you exit today, if you have any recycling or if you, uh, if you could please return the pens, uh, we'd get those sanitized and ready for you next week. So... Um, those of us that have a few pins in our cars, maybe we should gather those up and bring them. <laughs> um, but uh, that's what that's for as well. So uh, if you are here in person or as a first or second time guest or out of town guest, again, welcome. Um, we'd love for everyone, including our guests, to fill out connection cards. Um, and if you could just let us know how you heard about Church in the Valley, that would be great. That helps us direct our marketing resources and understand uh, just what's really being effective. Um, you know, maybe from a friend or a long time ago from a door hanger or uh, you just walked by or drove by and, and found the church. That would be great for us to know. So a couple of announcements. One, uh, we do have small groups starting up in September. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Within a few weeks, we'll be having uh, the catalog available in the program. So be thinking through uh, which nights would be available for that and um, I just really encourage you to get involved in a small group. Um, that's really where you grow uh, closer to one another and build that community and where you grow closer to God as we learn from the experiences of each other. You know, we all come to, at things with, from a different angle and a different perspective and different experiences, and it's great when we combine those. Uh, sometimes people say, uh, we really learn when we gather in circles, not in rows. So certainly uh, we appreciate the time together in something similar to Rose in our interesting courtyard arrangement, um, but also really uh, grow closer to one another uh, when we're together uh, in a circle around a small group. Uh, the one other announcement is um, for those of you that are here to uh, join in the Kid Zone training, um, we have moved from downstairs in a, in a classroom to the uh, far, to my left, when you walk the farthest, uh, courtyard, uh, just trying to be cognizant of the Delta variant and the, the ability to spread. So we pushed that outside with some uh, shade and umbrellas and so forth, and God blessed us with a shady day. So that's, that's a change. If you go downstairs wandering around looking for that training, you won't find it. Uh, so uh, appreciate all of our Kids Zone volunteers today. So would you uh, just join with us in worshiping one more song, and then we'll welcome up John for our message. Thank you. is in the hands of the maker of heaven. 
Welcome up Dr. John Taylor for his message. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. And... Uh, I know we love the weather in Southern California, but today we thank God for the clouds. Now, I love that song in the worship, you know, that uh, God is uh, bigger than I thought. And, and, you know, one of the things I 
continually learning is that God is greater than I understand him to be. And his greatness is incredible. He's as great as the Bible says he is. And he's, as, and he's greater than what we currently understand him to be. So he, he just the greatness of God, astonishing. So this morning we're talking about a healthy church. We're really trying to finish off uh, you know, with this, this, this talk this morning is planned to finish our discussion of First Thessalonians. We're getting now we've been through the whole letter. Uh, it's possible that uh, we, we might need to break this up into two and uh, finish this off next week. So uh, we might do that. And uh, so just be prepared if that happens. But we're going to do, first of all, just to read our passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 28. We ask you, brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every appearance of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, as always, we try to think about the context of our passage. And, uh, you know, if you're going to read something in the Bible, try to interpret, try to understand it. It's important that we think about what comes before and uh, what comes after and how this fits into what's being said so we can make sense of it. And of course, we've kind of summarized this every week, but in First Thessalonians, Paul is writing to a church that's under pressure, there's been persecution for their faith. This is a reality in first century Christianity. It's a reality in 21st century Christianity even this week, you know, we know of uh, Christians being martyred in Afghanistan. And, uh, and so this is a reality. And so they're under pressure. And they're also very young in their faith. And they didn't have much opportunity uh, when Paul first went there uh, to draw from him everything that they, need, that they needed uh, because uh, he, had to, he was chased out of town by persecution. And so he's... He's writing to remind them of lots of things that he did say and tell them one or two things that he didn't get round to. But uh, on the way, he's kind of telling their stories. Chapters 1 and 2 are basically telling the stories so far of how they were converted and how, how they met the apostles and uh, how they heard the gospel and how they responded and how the, uh, the missionaries who came to them were living. And then chapter 3 talks about the, the situation uh, as it is right now. And then in chapter 4, we're starting to move on into 
how they should live going forward and the same in, in chapter 5. So that's really where the context is. And immediately before our passage, we read in verses 9 to 11 of chapter 5, God has not set us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. That's the context and suggests that uh, this passage is to be read in context of a couple of important things. One is, the Lord is returning. Uh, the, and, and of course, that's, God has not destined us for wrath, talking about when, when, Jesus, when Jesus Christ returns to judge the world, and uh, so who died for us, so that whether we are awake, in other words, when we are, whether we are alive when Jesus returns, or whether we sleep, whether we've passed away by that time, we are going to live in resurrection life with him. So in the light of his coming return, the forthcoming resurrection, the forthcoming judgment of God on the world, uh, that's, and that's the sort of context. And this statement, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you also are doing. And so this actual passage we're going into is actually a lot about how we build one another up, how we encourage one another. And so I've called this message, looking at this passage, The Healthy Church, because it's a, it's a, a list, really, of advice or commands that Paul gives the church. Uh, and in some sense, uh, there's a collection of things, and they don't necessarily all, uh, it doesn't all make one point. He makes multiple points. And yet, if I looked at it, as I studied this, I thought, you know, this is Paul writing to a church that he can't yet visit, and these are the final things he wants to say, and it's not simply that, oh, this is just a few extra bits here, you know, this is the bits he didn't get room to elaborate on. These are important final words to this letter. It's actually quite similar to, simil to uh, instructions that Paul gives in a couple of other churches, particularly Romans, in Romans 12, so it's the sort of thing that he would say across a number of churches, and of course it has incredible relevance for us. And he wants that church to, to stay healthy. He tells them in the letter they've made a great healthy start to their walk with Jesus. But now he's saying this is how you should continue on because we know that a good start is not good enough. Amen? And this happens in life. And uh, it's important to stay healthy. I, I mean, I've discovered this as I'm growing a bit older, and uh, that it's amazing how many things you are in the, there are in the body uh, that I didn't know about that can go wrong. And uh, it was just one of those things that your body starts to slow down, wear out. You discover things you never knew you have, muscles you never knew could hurt, and organs in the body that you didn't even know existed that uh, could go wrong. And and so, you know, I'm sort of discovering the importance of, of staying healthy as long as I can uh, because we've got to move beyond a good start. The Thessalonians had a great start. What will keep them doing, going? What resources do they have? And uh, what habits and practices should they have, should they do? And so the list that Paul is giving them, it's not, I don't think, in order of priority, uh, but it's a, it's a collection of things that are very important resources and habits and practices that they need going forward to stay, stay healthy. Stay healthy, my friends. 
Now, and the first of these in verse 12 and 13, and it's to recognize your leaders, recognize your leaders. We ask you brothers to, now in the, the English Standard Version, which we read just before, it said to respect those who labor among you. Uh, the, the Greek word here, adenai, uh, is really to know those who are laboring among you. And so it could mean respect, but I think here it's to recognize. The, the, it, it's a verb to know, meaning, okay, who are they? You should know them and you should recognize what they're doing. Uh, the first resource in Paul's list for this church is those who work and lead in the church. That's how, they, how you're going to stay healthy uh, through that, having that resource. People who are working and laboring and leading and, and, uh, and admonishing in the church. And your job as a member of the body here is to identify them, find out who they are. What do you mean? Don't we have people with titles? Well, actually, not that many. You can, Paul is saying, identify them, recognize them, and, and here's how to do it. He says, those who are laboring among you, those who are leading or over you in the Lord, and those and, and admonishing you, and is there somebody like that around here? That's your leader, <laughs> right? In other words, who's doing the work around here? That's how you tell who is actually leading the way, who's doing the work around here, who is taking responsibility, and who is caring for others, who's admonishing those who need it. If somebody is doing that, that's your leader. And, uh, and so you may, not, you may think that leadership is a matter of titles, who has got a title of head of this, manager of that, director of that. Leadership is not a matter of titles. Leadership is a matter of action, of who is actually leading the way. And so you might find that there are leaders in that church that have no title, uh, that are not formally recognized in, in, a, in a hierarchy, a management chart, a spreadsheet, they, but they are actually leading and uh, identify them and this kind of makes me this text draws me back to what Jesus talks about when he talks about leadership as servant leadership as you know the, the greatest among you are those who serve and servant leadership involves the things that he's talking about here that Paul's talking about number one the willingness to work <laughs> servant leadership involves the willingness to work Number two, the willingness to do the difficult and humble tasks repeatedly without publicity and praise. The willingness to do difficult and humble tasks repeatedly without publicity and praise. And number three, the willingness to bear responsibility. That's the kind of where the leadership part comes in. You, set, you have to set the example by doing the humble task, right? Leaders need to be willing to do the, the dirty jobs. But listen, they also need to be willing to bear responsibility. It's, and it's a good sign if you're looking for leaders for a ministry, for church, it's good, or even in your business or anywhere you are, you look for someone who's not looking for the 
credit of being a leader, they're looking to bear responsibility. They're willing to take the load, willing to take the load. Say, so they're willing to handle that. Whether or not they get credit for it, whether or not they get recognized for it, they're willing to bear responsibility. Consistent care and concern for others, of course, is number four. Consistent care and concern for others. And number five comes up in our text here. Number five, in our text, those who admonish you. The willingness to gently correct. The willingness to gently correct. That's, that's one of the hardest parts of leading. I can tell you that from, many, from years and years of ministry leadership. Uh, and it's one of the hardest parts of, 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 of any kind of leadership is the willingness to correct. Some people love it, of course. Some people love telling other people off, especially online. Uh, and, uh, you know, they think they're God's policemen. Are they going to go around and, uh, and heresy hunt and then find people online who are safely away from them and uh, tell them that they're heretics and, uh, and, and correct other parts of the church? Uh, but uh, it's a very different thing when someone's face to face with you and uh, they have a need in their life and you have to gently correct them. Uh, if, you, if you're this kind of person, you are a leader. You, these are our leaders. One, by the way, in the Greek here, there's not three kinds of people, those who labor, those who lead, those who admonish. Uh, in in the, the way that the Greeks is set up here, it's, uh, it's got one Greek article. The, the, the article means whatever word a language has for the. And Greek has 24 uh, ways of saying the. And, uh, and so, but anyway, the, uh, or the, it has... Uh, all of these, there's one of these for all of these three things, laboring, leading, and admonishing. And that, what that means is that this is all basically the same group of people. Uh, all these things are very connected. And so, how do you know who your leaders are? They're leading, working, and admonishing, training. You know, uh, there was a church that I worked with uh, uh, and uh, preached at sometimes, and uh, they, they had a philosophy that, uh, your, that they had a, a co-equal eldership. So they had a group of elders in the church, but they decided that uh, we don't want any one person uh, being the, the, the first among equals. We don't want a head elder. We don't want a lead pastor. We don't, we don't want anybody. It's a, it's a philosophy. It's, it's an eldership of in, entirely co-equals. And, uh, and, and of course, that was a you know, that was their, their philosophy, was they, what they, how they read the Bible, and they were trying to make this happen. And if you went and talked to the churchmen, who's the, who's the leader around here? They would always say, oh, well, we don't, we don't have one, we have five, you know, these elders, and, and uh, they, they work together. But I can get, but everybody, every other Christian in the town knew who the leader of the church was. Uh, that was the guy doing all the work. <laughs> the guy who actually did the things that leadership involved. And, uh, and so, and that was fine. And, it's, it's, and experience tells, anybody who's been in management or leadership tells you that where you have a committee or even if you never have a chair, there's always somebody who is, you know, going to emerge as first among equals. That's fine, that happens. But uh, 
this man was humble enough, never, he would never say, I'm really in charge around here. He would never grate against a lack of recognition. He just got on and served and did the job that God had called him to. And he was fully happy with everybody else getting just as much of the credit for leading things around here. So recognize your leaders. Who are they? recognize them. And, and of course, the second part of recognizing, as Paul says in this verse, verse uh, 13, is to respect them, to regard them highly, he says, in love because of their work. Regard them highly in love because of their work. You know, leaders are not there to meet all your needs. A church is not a store, you know, that you're paying for a service or a business that you're paying for a service. The church is a community, a family, and those who are leaders, even those people who get, a, who get paid by the church, they're not doing it, you know, and this is not a business transaction where you're paying for service. Paul says, regard them highly in love because of their work. And notice that word love there. Uh, there's a, there was a, in a, a place where I used to live, uh, there, was a, a couple, there was a church there that was known, and I'll, I'll use this phrase, as a pastor-killing church. <laughs> a pastor-killing church. It didn't actually kill anybody, you'd be happy to know. But they, they basically chewed up and spat out a whole series of pastors. Uh, and they never, ever could, would... Uh, would settle on one. So, you know, they would take a new pastor, they would hire a new pastor, uh, and usually, because it was a church like that is not going to grow very fast, uh, and usually it was a small church, and, uh, and so they would say, yeah, we need a pastor, we go and hire another seminary student, just out of seminary, and uh, they would hire this guy, poor guy, and uh, he would be so excited because this is his first church, just out of theological training, and he would go there, and within a year, 18 months, he was gone uh, because they just abused and used him up and, uh, and uh, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't let him do anything and, uh, and just chewed him up and spat him out. And some of these guys poor, had breakdowns because uh, they were so, uh, spat out, you know, just so wounded by the church that they'd come to serve and to love. And, and so, of course, that's the kind of extreme but regard them highly in love because of their work, all right? A, a leader in the church isn't a more important person. A leader in the church is not someone we need to put on a pedestal. A leader is not someone who can never be contradicted. In fact, if you, if you have a leader who doesn't want to be con contradicted, uh, you're, in a, you're in an unfortunate situation. And if you, if any of you working in business or in, in, a, in, a, in a college situation, you know how hard it is when someone in charge never accepts correction or contradiction. But, uh, but nevertheless, they need to be regarded in love highly because of their work. So, and then the last part of this first two verses says this, be at peace with yourselves, with one another is the idea. You see, one of the jobs of a leader is to admonish, right? And that's a hard job. I hate telling people off, you know. Uh, 
Uh, maybe my kids wouldn't tell you that's the truth, but, but uh, I, I, I hate telling people off and, and of course, people hate being told off, right? Some people have, uh, have really said about their to their pastor, I'm not paying you to tell me off, right? Well, and people don't want to be told to be admonished. They don't want to be admonished. They don't want to pay for it. Well, they're not paying for it. You are, if you're giving, you're giving to the Lord. And, uh, but I tell you what, you do actually pay to be told off. You do. Every last time you went to a doctor, you paid some money and he said, don't eat so much. Right? Last time you, you went to a psychologist or a counselor, you know, you paid them some money and they said, don't think like that. You pay them to be told off. That's what, that's what they do. Yes, you do pay to be told off quite happily. Uh, when you go to a doctor or a counselor or someone like that, that's what you pay for that service and they tell you, don't stop living like that. Make, you know, be sensible. And so... Church leadership, as I said, it's not a consumer service, a product you're paying for. We're not in a business transaction, but a family, and we love one another. And so being at peace with one another in the context of being led, of being admonished, is not to be contentious or build up resentments, but to be reconciled, not to be factious and have little parties or, if you like, uh, you know, groups in the church who are resenting what's happening and doing and starting to do their own thing be at peace with one another now leaders in this text are the first resource on the list that god has given the church to stay healthy although i don't think it's necessarily a priority but we do need people who labor and lead and admonish to be a healthy church Notice the plural here, those, plural, who admonish and, and, and lead and, and who work and labor among you. And, and this is Paul saying there's lots of leaders in a church and uh, it's not just one person, right? And I think this is really, really quite important. And, uh, and, but why is it so important to recognize them and to regard them highly? Why is it, why is it so important and to be at peace with them? And the first reason is this, it's, it's just justice, right? If someone is working hard and doing the work, Lord's work and doing what they're called to do in, in a way that's helping others and serving them and, and serving the Lord, it's just justice that we recognize, acknowledge it. And uh, that's, that's justice. It's like worship, right? We worship Jesus because he deserves it. And it'd be injustice not to worship him. And so the same way, when someone is, is doing something out, you know, out of servant heart, that's justice to recognize it. But we also need to recognize it because we need what they bring. And we need to learn to value what they bring. I don't know about you, but I don't like being admonished. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, you, and... Uh, and sometimes we need it. My wife admonished me last night uh, for something that I had said that I, I shouldn't have said. And, uh, and so all I could do was say, I'm sorry. You know, I, I, I was, she was right. And, uh, and so, but we all need at admonishment 
and we need people who work and we need people who are taking the lead and we need to learn to value what they do. And we also need to recognize and respect the leaders among us, be at peace, because we need to be united as a church. And, uh, and so that unity is one of the things that leadership helps to bring in a church. And uh, as I said, uh, I'm not here trying, going to talk about what leadership structure should look like. Uh, this is really about the, the contribution that leadership makes and how we need to recognize it and value it. And uh, there are, I can guarantee you, there are plenty of leaders in this church who are doing the things that leaders do without a title. And uh, that's something to be, to be praised, uh, you know, and, and to praise God for. All right, so that's our first resource, leaders and what they bring, and our first necessary response to that is just to recognize it, regard them highly in love. And that's going to help you stay healthy as a church. Our second resource is in verses 14 to 15. Look around you, right? It's each other. God has sent you each other. The whole church for the whole church to help the whole church. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That's the second resource, one another. Leaders can't do everything, and they should not do everything, and they must not do everything. You know, there are some church leaders who are really dominating. Uh, they, just, they just want to control everything, and they, they don't want any decisions to be made uh, when they're not, you know, that's not their decision. And that's, that's, by the way, it's not a church, to, that's not a way to help a church grow. But uh, I, I once was uh, in, uh, preaching at a church and I spent some time with them, this church, and the pastor was the mildest mannered, gentlest person, sweetest personality you could meet. Just so loving, affectionate, uh, gracious, godly character, a wonderful man who utterly dominated that church without wanting to without trying to because he never delegated he just he just couldn't delegate and so he ended up doing everything himself and still was pretty much as dominating as someone with a with a hyperdrive ape type a personality this pastor was just as dominating uh, just because he didn't delegate and didn't let anything go but leaders shouldn't do everything by the, do you notice when Paul writes most of his letters, he's not writing to the, to the leader of the church in Thessalonica or to the leaders of the churches in Rome or in Galatia. He writes to the church and tells them how to live and, what, and tells them why, tells them all about Jesus. And he says, all of you need to take responsibility for what is, is the implication, right? All of you need to listen to this letter and take responsibility for what's in it. And, you know, that's, that's so, so different to what we might do. In our day, we might, if you were a, a church, you know, someone outside of Church in the Valley, uh, you know, wanting to write to this church and send them a message, almost certainly you'd want to know, well, who do I write to? You know, which, who's the, who is the leadership team or council here? Who's, who's in charge? That, because I need to work through that person. 
And so I'm going to write to him and, or that group and say, you know, you, you pass this on. That's not how Paul did it. He wrote to the entire church and wanted to be heard directly. And that tells us something that Paul expects everyone in the church to hear the Word of God, live it out, take responsibility for obedience, and take the load upon yourself, not wait for leaders to do something. God has given us one another. And exactly what should we do for one another? Well, here's a list that Paul gives us. There's lots more one another's in the letters of Paul, but this is an important list. And the first one that he urges the brothers and sisters there, what are they supposed to do? Number one, admonish the idol. Admonish the idol. Remember, admonishing is gentle correction. Admonishing means gentle correction. So why the idol? First of all, some translations will say unruly instead of idle. And, uh, and so because it's a, a, a dispute, a little bit of a dispute over how the Greek word here uh, should be translated and uh, the ataktos is the Greek word. So is it, it's someone, some people say it means someone who's out of order, sort of unruly, but most translations go with idle and I think contextually that makes sense. There is so much uh, uh, discussion in First Thessalonians about work and also in Second Thessalonians. And, and so I think that's the best uh, contextual meaning. A, a, a word, by the way, a word means what it means in context. And uh, so if, uh, lots of words have a range of meanings, right? And, and so you choose, your brain automatically chooses the meaning that best fits the context in most situations. And it, that's the, this is the best possible meaning here, the idol. People who are not willing to work or to work together. Work is valued in this letter, the letter of First Thessalonians. Work is the outcome of faith. Labor, Paul says, is the expression of love. Endurance is the expression of hope. We saw that in chapter 1. Uh, Paul says in chapter 2 that his and Silas and Timothy's self-support as they worked for their living while starting the church there, uh, and that was an act of love uh, as they, and this was what they did for the church. Uh, work is the overflow of faith, love, and hope. And I already mentioned, but in first century Greco-Roman culture, there's a kind of patron-client culture thing going, where if you wanted to get ahead in, in the world, uh, you wanted to find a patron who's further up the uh, societal food chain than you are, someone who is uh, more wealthy, more better connected, uh, more af uh, has, is a higher class, this kind of thing. And one of the ways to, uh, to sort of get yourself up from the gutter is to find a patron and you'd be their client and uh, you're going to support them politically, you're going to support them everything that they do, and in, every, in return, uh, they help you along. They give you a reference if you need a job. Uh, they uh, help you in a court case if you have trouble. And they sometimes would help uh, support you financially because they got money. And literally, a lot of, uh, there were uh, wealthy people in some of these uh, cities in the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, and uh, their clients would turn up every morning uh, for a kind of, as, as the patron would hold court, and all, all these people who depended on him would, or her 
because uh, there were female patrons as well. And so they, they would turn up and they would, uh, they would toady up and flatter them and tell them how wonderful they are and, uh, and uh, you know, this sort of thing. And, and then they would be given money uh, or food or something like that. And so uh, some people learned uh, that, uh, you know, you didn't have to work if you could find someone willing to pay, pay your way, right? You didn't have to do much if you could find someone else who's willing to, to pay your way. And so it's possible that people were uh, in the church in Thessalonica were looking for wealthy individuals, uh, maybe in the church, uh, or maybe even the church itself. They discovered, here's a group of very generous people, and they're willing to help me out, you know. And, and so uh, they, they, rather than work, uh, they would depend, they would do this. Now, of course, it's the church's job to help the needy. And, and when I say the church, I mean all of us together, not just talking about the church budget. The church is a believer's job to help the needy, but if we, if we have to help people who aren't needy, uh, but who just don't want to work, that's a problem. And we see that in First Timothy, where he says, look, if there's widows, the church should help widows, but they've got to be real widows. In other words, they've got to be people who are actually dependent, uh, rather than someone who's got resources in their family and, and so on. So that's an interesting thing. Uh, the idol need admonishings just you know uh, it's it's and if you if your dad or your mom ever told you you know get off your get off your chair and uh and do some work around here they're helping you they're helping you when they say that because they're going to teach you something you're going to need to get on in life and uh but listen it's not the leaders after he said leaders are those who admonish you gently correct Guess what? He tells the church to admonish the idol. That means at least uh, that uh, that's, that particular admonishment is not particularly the, the job of the leaders. That's something for everybody. So uh, that's interesting. So admonish the idol. All right. Uh, so if you don't want people admonishing you for idleness, you know what to do. Uh, leave the church. No, uh, I don't really mean that. Uh, start to work you know, and, uh, and work. So second one, the second thing he told them to do is encourage the faint-hearted or the, the discouraged. Encourage the faint-hearted or the discouraged. When the pressure's on, we need to come alongside one another. The Greek word here for encouraging, it means to console, to comfort, to encourage you know, back in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And uh, using very similar language, say to those who have, a, have an anxious heart, uh, who, who are discouraged, faint-hearted. You know, I've got a friend uh, named Steve Sullivan, and uh, he lives in New Zealand now, but uh, we, for years we, we were working together in missions. And uh, the thing about Steve is that whenever I went to visit him or whenever he came to visit me, whenever, whenever he, that time was over, I just felt I could take on the world. Somehow I felt boosted, built up, strengthened, encouraged. He's one of those people. And he didn't come in with a, he didn't come to our, you know, when we got together for a meal or something. He didn't come with a list of strategic encouragements. He just, that was who he was. He just encouraged people. He had that gift. 
And, and so we need to be those that to one another, to the discouraged, the faint-hearted, just to lift one another up. By the way, all of this one another's, use here, they assume knowledge of one another, don't they? How can you admonish anybody if you don't know how they're living, if you don't get close enough to see them? How can you encourage the faint-hearted if you don't know that they are faint-hearted or discouraged? How can you encourage them and comfort them, lift them up if you don't know what's in their heart and mind? And, that, you know, and Mark was talking before about uh, getting involved in some uh, small groups and, 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 and so on. That's so important that you, there's somebody who knows you and, uh, that, and someone that you know and get close enough to people. And so encourage the faint-hearted. The third thing is help the weak. Help the weak. Uh, and literally the Greek word here means to hold on to them. Keep a hold on them. You know, and I think of there's some people who are discouraged. They need encouragement. Come on. The Lord is good. The Lord's strong. Fear not. But there is sometimes people slip into such weakness that even just encouragement just doesn't seem to get through. They just need to be held and held on to. It's the difference between someone who's discouraged, perhaps, and someone who's depressed. And again, I, I, I don't want to be too technical and neither have, do, do I have the ability. But when someone is depressed, uh, one, th one thing that doesn't help to say is to say, you know, pull your socks up. Uh, just get a hold, get a grip on yourself. You just need to hold them and lift them up and give them time and just help them when they're weak. And we're all weak, whether it's depression or whether it's you know, some other weakness in our life. But it's the job of everyone to just help the weak, and that takes time, which is perhaps why the next thing says, be patient with everyone. Paul says, be patient with everyone. By the way, start with your own family. <laughs> it's amazing how be patient we can be, can be with people who don't, that we don't live with, right? It's amazing how patient and gracious and kind we can be to one another here on Sunday morning or somewhere, just after yelling at someone in our family on the way to church uh, or getting upset. So, and look, I, how do I know this? Because I've, I, I've been there and done that, right? So, but be patient with everyone, starting with your own family and with the church. These things are what we need from each other. But wait, there's more. He says, make sure that no one repays evil for evil. You know, uh, it's amazing how often grudges and resentments build up even in a, in a group of godly people like a church. It's amazing how resentments and grudges build up and people take revenge in different ways for some slight or some hurt or something that happened to them and they start, they do something back, you know. And, and in, in the church, we don't tend to go and punch someone's lights out when they hurt you, uh, but uh, we might just ignore them. We might just freeze them out. We might just ghost them, right? We might just treat them like they don't exist. I, one time uh, I was in this church and... Uh, I, I never, you know, as a church member, and I know I'm a professor of New Testament, all of that, and, and so sometimes when I'm in a church, pastors get a bit nervous because there's a guy in there with a Greek Bible and all of that. 
And so this guy was lovely, lovely pastor, and he kept asking me, you know, did I get, the, get, did I get it right from the Greek and everything? And I just tell him, I'm just, pastor, I'm just here. Actually, I didn't call him pastor, I just called him by his name. And I, I said, uh, I said, I'm just here to, to receive the word of God. I'm not here every Sunday to correct you. But he said, well, look, if, you, if there's anything you do ever, you know, ever, anything that I ever do that you, you just need to, please tell me. So once, once I told him, and he didn't speak to me for six months. So, <clears throat> make sure, but this text is interesting. It says, you all, the verb here, see to it, or make sure, orate uh, in the Greek, it's, it's, it's a verb that says, you plural, make, see to it that no one individually pays back evil for evil. In other words, it's not just you don't take revenge, it's make you make sure that others don't take revenge. This is where we care for one another. If you see someone acting in that way, that's our corporate and individual responsibility not to do that and to help each other not to do that. It's quite interesting, I think. At some point, listen, at some point, you will be hurt in church. At some point, someone will offend you. Someone will hurt you. Someone will treat you poorly, whether they do it deliberately or not. It's going to happen. I promise you. That's good news, isn't it? So, and look, it's life. You live, if you're around people long enough, you're going to get hurt at some point. So the question is, how are you going to react to it? How are you going to respond to it? And are you going to respond to hurt with hatred, with anger, with freezing someone out, or are you going to respond with graciousness, with love, and so on, with doing good? Paul says, instead, always pursue the good for one another. You know, biblical love is this. Love is choosing and doing what's best for someone else, even if it costs you. Love is choosing and doing what's best for someone else, even when it costs you. That's what love is, right? How do you know if someone loves someone else? Because they're choosing the best for that person. It's like a young man says to a girl, hey, babe, I really love you. And what he means is, I love me and I want you. So, but love is doing the best for someone else, even at your own cost, even when they've hurt you. And the interesting thing here. And the, the last thing on this list, and we're going to do the rest next week, is this. He says, always pursue what's good, right? And he's, pursue what's good for one another and for all, and for all, right? And the word here is not just do that which is good. It's, it's the Greek word dioko, meaning pursue. Pursue the good. That, that's, like, that's really chase after it. Find out what's good for one another. Look for it, chase it, run towards that. And do it. But guess what? Not just for one another. A church, a healthy church doesn't just look after each other. 
and bless each other. Aren't we nice? We'll just look after each other. No, healthy church takes the love on the street. The healthy church shares the love outside the church. When I say the love, I mean doing what's good for others, what's best for them. And so that's the sort of end of this section. We're going to finish off this message next week when we talk the second part of uh, healthy church as we're finishing up our passage. Let's pray. Oh, dear Lord, wonderful Lord Jesus, thank you that, uh, yeah, that, that you've called us to a church. Thank you you've called us to one another, that uh, you've given us tremendous resources to be healthy, to stay healthy. You've given us leaders, people who are working hard and leading and admonishing. And Lord, thank you for that. Lord, thank you for uh, one another. You've given us each other to help us grow and help us to be patient and to, to care for one another and to encourage each other and to admonish the idol. And Lord, not to repay back evil for evil, but to, to, to show love even beyond the walls of the church or the, we don't have walls here, Lord, but uh, the people are out there. Thank you, Lord, and uh, help us take the love that's here and spread it abroad. Lord, and uh, we just thank you in Jesus' name. There is on your, uh, on your notices there, there's a little s s spot there that you can write down, you know, uh, for what's your kind of takeaway from this week, your response. And I'm just, it just came to me this morning, that maybe just want to, just write one thing. If you get it, if there's something there, just write one thing down that the Lord has spoken to you this morning and, and, uh, and take that away with you. God bless. Thank you, John. Um, as John mentioned, uh, we should take some time to pray about this and, and meditate on some of the word that we have been fed today uh, and think about not just the head knowledge of the facts, but really what it means for us and the way we live our lives.
asked us to do in your word, to be a healthy church. Lord, you are worthy of all the effort that we put into it. You are worthy of all the work and all the learning and all the admonishment and receiving admonishment. Lord, we want to give this all to you. Let's sing day and night. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Day and night, night and day, let, let your praise arise. Sing it out.
Yeah. 
Thank you guys for joining us this morning. We'll see you all next week.